Across the Streams podcast, Kip's back, uh, following up like I said I would. Uh, Asim's here. Say hello to the community, sir. What's going on, Across the Streams community? It's been a while, man. It's been like two it years since we, uh, since we did this. Time flies. I know. Time flies. It does, man. It go- and you know what? Unfortunately, the world never ceases to uh, amaze us in disappointment. So here we are again talking about stuff. But I want to follow up with Asim because I, you know, I respect his voice and his work on so many of these college campuses around DEI and around the, the the nonsense that I went off on yesterday. And many of you, you know, are, share our, our rage with the affirmative action ruling. And then this morning, we woke up to more bullshit with the cancel with the ruling against canceling student debt, of course, but we don't want to talk, we don't want to not cancel PPP loans to businesses. That's fine. Um, and we also had the other case with the made up uh, I don't even know the name of it, but the made-up uh, fantasy realm where someone you can now discriminate against people with your business if you if you if you serve the public, because she made up a lawsuit from a supposed gay couple that mm-hmm. she refused service to, but that the couple didn't even there wasn't a couple for her to actually refuse service to. She made that up, but it's all it's all fun. It's all it's all bad. I think you sent that to me yesterday. I think you sent that to me. No, you sent. We're going backwards. We're going backwards. Yeah, we're, you know, I, I remember, so Kip, you and I are not that, that different in age. And so I remember a time where affirmative action was kind of a relatively new thing in terms mm-hmm. of like, you know, my mom, like, she worked in HR for 30 years and was like a, an HR generalist and then specialist and then senior HR, this and that. And like, you know, I remember seeing the magazines that would come to the house from like SHRM or SHRM or however you pronounce it as like the HR management organization and like half the covers were about affirmative action and how that's affecting workplaces and things like that. And like sort of the the trickle up and trickle down of inclusivity, like forced inclusivity in spaces in this country starts and ends with has become and slowly maybe losing a little bit of steam but has become sort of the thing you need in order to gain access into the workplace and that's your degree and while we can say like yeah there's this whole gig economy and you can learn more on youtube and blah 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 blah, right like we are all familiar with that we all learn things differently but at the end of the day like especially for people of the global majority like you and me Right. You, you know, body culture, bodies of color, whatever, however you want to say it, like worldwide, we are the majority. But in this country, we are being made to feel like we are less than. Yeah. And our rights are continually being legislated. And it's not a right to Ivy League admission. And I'll talk about that here in a second. Like, we'll, we'll get into it. But like, I'm just even talking about going to like the state school. Or going to a small school that you want a better learning environment and you're academically qualified, you're, you're this, you're that. Like we strive to do so much better. You got to do twice as much to get half as far. And things like affirmative action, we're supposed to help that. And we're supposed to maybe bridge the gap and, and remove some of the explicit biases that existed that favored 
white candidates or, or legacies and things like that. And it was like, no, like we're going to make sure that at least we try to check the box. Yeah. What this ruling does is it eliminates any box that needs to be checked to begin with. And like, that was the bare minimum. You and I have talked about that before, right? Even in a, in a trading takes of like, man, if all, all our universities want to do is check the box, like this is bullshit, whatever, whatever. And now it's like, yeah, all right, well now y'all don't even have to check the box. Right. right. So we're, we're right. losing ground in that way. And it's not like an us versus them or something like that. It's literally like, yo, just give us an opportunity and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yes. No, I right. Not even give mentioned. it to us. Like we've earned the opportunity. We're yes. like, are you, are you, I don't want to cuss on your podcast, but are you freaking kidding? No, me? We got explicit rating. We got explicit rating. You feel free. Right? Feel free. Are you, are you fucking kidding me right now? Yeah. That no, that's it. I, yeah. Go ahead. I, when you talked about too, like, I think people have this idea and I don't know if I did a good enough job yesterday. People have this idea that it was swapping out on, it was swapping out qualified for unqualified shouldn't even be there, but are now there purely because of their skin color. No, man, we were literally trying to address with, like you mentioned, one little thing, one little mechanism that a lot of schools weren't even doing well to address the gaps that these qualified people had to hurdle to get to that same seat. They were just as qualified, if not more so, right? I saw a thing today from, uh, let me make sure I get his name. It was on what UC Berkeley's tried to do. And it was by Femi Ogundele. I could probably I look that up. UC Berkeley's Associate Vice Chancellor of Enrollment and Dean of Undergraduate Admissions. And one thing that stood out to me that he said in his rebuttal of this and also talked about, hey, we've been because of Prop 209 in California, we've been having to navigate no affirmative action for all these years. And we're still way behind. Like we're busting our ass and we're still way behind with any virtue, you know, any version of uh, diversity in our UC systems that we actually want. We're busting our ass to get to the mediocre levels we're at. And he said, merely talking about a commitment to diversity will not be enough enough signals that state what you value are not systems and mechanisms that make it so. And so now we just took out one of the mechanisms, one mm -hmm. nationally that, and you and I haven't been and existed on these predominantly white institutions, the smaller liberal arts campuses that would signal a lot of this, right? They would claim yeah. that this is what they're working towards, but we even knew in the moment in working there, that they, even with their signals, they didn't really have systems to drive diversity. You know what they had to drive diversity? Black and brown bodies of culture as coaches that mm -hmm. went out and tried to recruit themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think so. So there's a couple of things that come to mind, right? I think number one, like this was somewhat of a safety net of saying like, hey, you at least have to consider that this is something that needs to happen here. Now that's taken away. The next step is workplace discrimination and workplace hiring, right? So it opens the door for exactly what you talked about, people of the global majority who in our world, like in terms of coaching and, and academia and stuff, we get passed up anyway, right? And now it's not even, it's going to have to be something where it's like, who's the best candidate? Well, whoever they decide is the best candidate. Not let's consider the entirety of this human being. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And, you know, when I also think about things like, 
admission preferences. So I think a lot of people have this idea that like affirmative action leads to a quota system and you have to have X amount of people. That's not what this is, right? But where we see the majority of special admissions to a university is full pay, legacy, somebody donated something or there's a trustee that said, hey, yeah, let's let this person in. Or on the flip side of that, at a, you know, a high major division one type university, the special admission rate for athletes is super high. Uh All right. Uh And what it ends up becoming then is the plantation mentality at those places where you are as a, as a person of the global majority, whether you are black, brown, whatever, you're probably there to play sports, right? If you wanted to go to that institution, you may or may not have gotten in on your own merit. And then being one of those people at that institution, you're constantly wearing this sort of brand or you're wearing this sort of invisible badge that says, yeah, I might have been an affirmative action or, or, you know, DEI or quota system admission to this place. When in reality, I earn my spot at this place. And so as that starts to disappear because of this ruling, and yeah, there are some schools that have said like, oh, we're still committed to this, 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 and this. You weren't committed it beforehand. Let's be honest. Like, let's just be honest with what it is. You weren't committed to it beforehand. You were told you had to be committed to it. And you didn't want to get canceled. And so now that's one more thing that allows you to not be canceled when you choose to admit who you choose to admit. Uh And it's fine. Admit whoever you want. But when we're now allowed to gatekeep who's allowed in an institution based on socioeconomic status, based on race, based on protected classes, it's a slippery slope to whatever's next. Yes, a hundred percent. It's um, you know, I'm glad you illuminated a little bit for people, right? Some of these systems and what they truly are, right? And especially the ones and you and I texted back and forth. I think you sent me Jamel Hill's quote too on Twitter, right? Like, hey, these other variables that schools can use, these emission metrics that are actually more prevalent, more prevalent and more often deployed than any any version of affirmative action that people might have in their minds. They didn't get touched yesterday. Those are still going full speed ahead, right? I think we saw we saw the numbers with you know white men at Ivy League schools or legacy donation admits, mm-hmm. but they don't. And those are probably more likely to be the guys that walk around that school going, "You're only in here because you can play basketball, right? You're only in right. here because your daddy, buddy." But we don't. That's not a that's not a conversation brought up a lot. The you know so I I in reading and thinking. Thinking about all these different things. I know. This, yeah. my son, showering. There he is. Welcome to the pod, buddy. What's up, okay, Zach? I'll take care of it. Okay, thanks, buddy. Um, what People talk about, well, other... Xavier, thank you. Welcome to the pod, everybody. We tape live. That's what happens. You said, too, they weren't doing it well before. And they're, they're, all the people that signaled yesterday, oh, we'll still keep using our... No, they won't because they're afraid of litigation. They're afraid the first time a mediocre white father feels like his son or daughter didn't get in and he can find some black or brown bodies person's package, he will sue 
and he'll win now because of the president of the Supreme Court. So they're not going to take these risks, right? And I'm not saying the humans and individuals are risks. They're qualified. They should be. But this is going to be the invert that no one's going to keep trying. It's not going to happen that way in the, in the grand scheme of things, because litigation and crisis management costs more in the end if they lose those. Mm-hmm. So I, I know the places that I was working, this was already a conversation a year ago mm-hmm. about the fears of litigation from mediocre white applicants claiming that X, Y, Z happened. And that's the only reason they were in. But Kip, I think it's worth us talking about where this came from in the first place and why this this case is not yes uh it's not what i think people who don't pay attention right they're not going to know who brought the case and this and then is they'll where... read the headline and tell us that it was a black and brown it was a global majority that brought it go ahead go ahead well and so the reality is right it's an asian family that that brought brought these cases and it was a class action thing of like hey affirmative action is stopping our children from getting into harvard right at the very basis the basic level and then that was jumped on and said hey yeah this is great let's repeal affirmative action in college admissions not realizing that what has continually happened in this country and this is where like my blood boils because like my mother grew up, she was born and raised in Africa, right? Her entire life, she lived in Africa until she got married, moved to India, and then moved to the United States, right? So like culturally, I, I am not African. I am not black. I'm none of those things. In fact, my team, there was like a rumor going around at Brandeis that my team in, within our team that I was Nigerian, which I don't understand that. But anyway, uh, but to me, like I carry the African culture and I, I, that is part of my blood. It's part of who I am. Right. And I am of the firm belief that people of the global majority do not realize the strength in numbers that exists and that we are constantly pitted against each other by white supremacy. And that oh, has what preach on it. Like oh, that is what is happening right now is that we have been told this lie that there's not enough for all of us in the global majority to be successful and feel good. And that it, it, it bothers me and it boils my blood that it was another Asian American or Asian person like me, right? I'm Indian, right? I'm, we are part of Asia, as some would have you believe that we are our own continent. I've heard that one before, right? We're this, the most populous country in the world. And the two most populous countries in the world are China and India. They're they're like right next to each other, right? And for that to be the case, that we are saying, hey, we're going to screw it up for everybody else. That creates the perpetration of exactly what the crabs in the barrel effect is. Right. So thank you. Yes. Crabs in the barrel. That might be the first time it's been said on the pod. That's crazy to me. That's so good. And I, and I want everybody to see. So Students for Fair Admissions is the white organization led by Ed Bloom, who's been crusading against affirmative action his entire professional career. But it's like Asim said, he jumped on a case from an Asian family. And Harvard might actually be, as Ellie Mistal wrote in his nation piece, Harvard might actually have some policies that do discriminate against Asian Americans. Affirmative action was not one of those. 
But the court, Ed, like you said, hey, come over here. I'm Ed Bloom. I I got your back in this. No, he co-opted them into going against all the rest of the global majority. That's why I had an 80 percenters mm-hmm. club during my time. Exactly. We called ourselves the 80 percenters I've stolen club. it from you. I've stolen yes, it. Yes, because they've convinced us. And I did the same thing. I said minority my whole life. Right. Mm-hmm. I said I'm a minority as a Samoan, as a Pacific Islander, Polynesian. I said, hell no, we are the majority. And they I tell it's um, they convince and Ellie Mistal writes this. And I think you did a great job illustrating it. They convinced a minority of AAPI parents that making the world easier for varsity blues, wealthy white parents will also trickle down and help their kids. Since when has right? anything trickled down helped bodies of color in this country? Never. But Not this is time. this is where I, I need to speak on that part, too. Yes. Because I think and here's here's might be a controversial opinion. and You can tell me if I'm wrong about this. There is a large subset of people who look like me. And people who look like you, Kip. And our Asian brethren. Who do not count themselves as people who are being subjugated or oppressed or anything by this type of legislation because they've been convinced because like you know we get good grades because we're good at math because we are the the model quote-unquote model minority if we just stay out the way nothing bad is going to happen to us because we have curried favor with the people who stole tea from our countries and who stole spices from our countries and they're in charge, so we need to be a little bit more demure about this. And, oh, it's just, it's not fair that my child couldn't get into Harvard. And, and listen, it's very possible that that's true. It's very possible that that's true. But that's why schools have selective admissions. But they're selective based on, quote unquote, merit, not based on the melanin content of your skin. Because of things like affirmative action. And so now once that's removed merit really doesn't matter anymore right there is nothing there is no such thing as merit the merit is can you stroke the check or not that's it tuition driven tuition driven institutions tuition driven enrollment driven institutions absolutely you need a certain discount rate that you cannot go below to keep Mm -hmm. the coffers filled and the lights on so if you can pay 58 percent or you can only pay 33%. Now you just go with the 58% person, person with and, their money. And that generational right wealth, too. right? That yes. generational wealth that gets created through home ownership, land ownership, which again, was not something that our people were allowed to do, let alone black right. people in this country that were allowed to do. So being multiple generations, and I don't want to say the word behind, but it's also like, I, my brain isn't working beyond the rage piece right now. So like yeah, yeah. being multiple generations behind in that based on some of these legacy type admissions to places that are described by, all right. So, so all academic basketball, you've worked that camp, right? Yep. And yep. some guy comes out, I don't know if Harvey, Harvey Rubin ever came to your guys' camp. He spoke. Yep. Um, yep. But what did he call the schools? He puts up his little posters, right? And he calls them Kingmaker schools. Right. All of these top, you know, 100 liberal arts, whatever institutions and these places that cost an arm and a leg to go, but the outcomes are X, Y, Z. And like, you know, 
when you look at, look around at those AAB camps, right? We're both basketball guys. Mm-hmm. Look around yep. at the AAB camps. What do you notice about the AAB camps? Ain't nobody there that looks like me. Ain't nobody nope. there that looks like you, Kip. Nope. Right? So now there's this generational gentrification of sport. There's this generational gentrification of college admissions. And we were just starting to make an inkling of progress. Right. Even if it was just representation, even if it was just in the numbers, there was a little bit like a modicum of progress. Yeah. And now that sets us back a full generation. And if people don't believe that elections are important, go back to 2016, because all of this shit started like they had it all ready to go. And then in 2016, it was off to the races. And so I I don't know if I sent you this yesterday, but I'm curious about your thoughts about this. I sent it to somebody, it might have been you, that we now in this country effectively live in an oligarchy until the next election cycle. Uh, I think you did send that to me. Yes. And let let people know about oligarchy, because I I think some people are like, what is he talking about? I mean, go back to your, you know, your sixth grade civics class or your eighth grade civics class where you talked about the different forms of uh, you know, governmental structure and, con- and ruling a country and whatever, whatever. Um, you know, I think when there's a small group of people who have undue influence and they're the ones that are commanding what happens, that's essentially what an oligarchy is, right? So you've got in, in Russia, you've got these Russian oligarchs yep. who are billionaires who just kind of run the country for Putin and they're the ones that have his ear and all those things. For, for lack of a better word, I mean, that's where we are right now. Ours just happened to wear robes and, and, and bang gavels, yep. right? But at the same time, they're also cozying up to donors. They're also cozying up to lobbyists. They're cozying up to... They're on fishing trips to Alaska. Exactly, right? And so, like, if you can buy a judge in this country, there is no checks and balances anymore. There are none of those things no. anymore. And so it's very easy then to have a 6-3 majority ruling on affirmative action on LGBTQIA plus rights and denying people of protected classes an opportunity to work with your business. I mean, like, and that whole thing, like, we, that might be another episode altogether. But what, so, so you go from, you know, the, the more, I think it was the more decision in North Carolina, right, mm-hmm. last week about like, all right, hey, we saved democracy a little bit. Yes. In terms of like not being able to just have states do whatever they want in federal elections. And that was even tenuous, like, oh, my God, are they actually going to do that or not? Right? right. And then you go from that to these three decisions that are handed down within 12 hours of each other. Right. And it it's was an almost essential... a precursor, like, hey, we'll give you this little thing. Exactly. Here you exactly. go. You guys get this little thing. Look, democracy's fine. We're not crazy people up here in our in with our six justices. Oh, by the way, here's the three major things everybody cared about that are universally supported across the country in general in polls. Now we're taking them back. We're, 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 we're done with that. It's uh, I think I like what you mentioned, too, about when you talked about minor pitting minor uh, bodies of culture against one another because it's a tried and true tactic. Mm-hmm. That, and also the southern strategy. That, yes. The idea that if I just play my part, I'll be okay. They'll put all their ire and their angst against them. So once again, we're othering one another. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, 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 no. This is my slice. We do what we're told. 
we do where we we told the line you are out of if you just play by the rules everything will be fine until they come for your ass yep right and then who's there to stand up for you and now this we're living with this so sometimes all we have left is rage and just because you can go about your day to day for how long because these things keep spinning backwards right farther and farther to where you can't hide in the safety of your routine pretty soon right correct but that 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 inherent safety comes from communal safety mm. and i think as communities it, we're we're sort of and this is i think this is maybe the larger point that i i wanted to say earlier and it escaped me as i was just vomiting all this out and the larger point here is that we're relying on people to do the right thing individually. And that there's this sort of American exceptionalism and individual exceptionalism that exists in this country that, you know, whether that's true or not is not up to me to decide, but like we're relying on communities doing the right thing. We're relying on people who work in admissions at these universities, institutions of higher learning, to continue to try to do the right thing, even though it's been documented several times by DEI scholars, people who research these things, that there has been little to no movement, even since 2020, in terms of the stated outcomes that schools are, are have put in place. And so... <clears throat> Institutions, I think, I had this conversation with Dr. Chip McNeil, who's, you know, the, the uh, assistant VP or the VP for DEI. Or the, yeah, I think he's the assistant VP or something for DEI at Brandeis. Great guy. He and I had this conversation when we first met about institutions just being made up of people. And if you change the people, you change the institution. So it's not an institutional issue. It is a people issue. And what we're doing now is saying, like, like what this does to me is that it puts more of the onus on administrators to hire the right people. And for there to be an alignment to what the stated outcomes are for the universities and, and go, you got something, go ahead. No, no, it makes me think of like exactly the, you made, you said gatekeepers, institutions or people. So if you don't have, trust and and it's hard to say trust if you don't have capability and lived experience in your seven readers of applications right and then you don't have seven readers on every particular day saying i will check my bias at the door which in and of itself is in a very difficult thing for all human beings there yep. are no longer policies that that check my human failures my shortcomings which we all have Right. So now it's on the seven readers on every single Tuesday to take mm -hmm. the right lens with applications. And it's also on an 18 year old who you said and you just and we verified this and I talked about it with CEEB code has excelled in the capacity he has in the capacity of the place he exists in, which he didn't choose. He or she didn't choose. It was redlined. It was all the things we know. Mm -hmm. And now we fall into the category of white reader of black and brown body 
lived experience, I don't know if they really articulated it the way I would have, and they get a lower mark. And now we're not, now we don't have the campus we want. And then you wonder why people default to using chat GPT to standardize some of this stuff. Right. I mean, that that's real, like that's real life. And so you think about like, even in the high academic liberal arts spaces that we've been in, as woke as our campuses pretended to be, the PGM experience on those campuses was awful. It was something that I would never wish upon anybody. And what's that? What is it all for? It's for this idea that like this place is going to make me better. Mm -hmm. That according to somebody, this place was ranked highly enough. That this is a, you know, like we said earlier, a kingmaker school. And that I need to go to this place because this is the opportunity for me to raise my standing in life. According to who? According to somebody else who told you that. And meanwhile, our HBCUs are struggling, our, our you know, res schools are struggling and all of those things. Right. What are we really doing? And so I even remember like we had our DEI summit in the UAA. It was kind of like my last responsibility at Brandeis. It's a great event. And, you know, we're, we descend upon Manhattan of all places, which is crazy. And, uh, you know, we spend two days in the hotel and we're like having all these sessions and seminars and panels. And I remember like our student athlete panel, they were very measured in their responses and they were, they didn't want to like rock the boat, but they said like one of our, one of the kids said something to the effect of like, we need to talk about when we're in the recruiting process, like when we go on the website and we see that there were four black girls on the team a year ago, and now there's only one and those kids didn't graduate. What happened? Where did those girls go? How, what was their experience like that prevented them from living out their entire like matriculation and like staying in the retention piece? Because every, every coach says they want to recruit more diverse campuses. They want to recruit more diverse teams. And, and by and large, right, we want to mirror society within our walls and all of those things, like all the little buzzwordy things. What about the retention when they get there? What systems exist to retain those kids and make sure they have access to the things they need to be successful aka equity right so the affirmative action piece like i think of attacks the d in deij or deib or whatever you want to call it i think that's what it does but without that then we are eroding the e right we're eroding the e because we no longer have to care about and i say we as a broad term like societally in those spaces they no longer have to care about providing the equitable opportunity or the equitable experience because it doesn't matter. It's not mandated anymore. And in this country, I'm sorry, Kip, like in this country, when have we been able to rely on the kindness of others and on the, the, uh, the reason of others and especially of people who are not the people of the global majority when have we been able to rely on that with a positive outcome? You know, that that makes me think of, and I know you see these too, because we both, you know, I, both, I think we both want to stay actively engaged in what's happening in the world so we can do our jobs with a lens of, this is the reality you all are facing. 
as the people we work with. But that also lends takes us down these rabbit holes of social media, just awfulness. But I see and I get so frustrated. And maybe it's, and I probably did the same. I know I did the same thing in the, or in the early beginnings of fighting and engaging online. Like, well, how come they don't see the hypocrisy? Don't they know they're being hypocrites? And we're talking, we're speaking to the white people. Well, no, no, no. It's it's not hypocrisy. It's not a lack of knowledge that their actions are opposite of what they expect from the global majority in black and brown bodies. They're actually acting on the belief that there is a different set of rules. It's not hypocrisy. It's they they believe that it should be different for you. And my second piece, when you were talking, it made me think because I and as much I really there were so many great. Uh, oppositional papers written yesterday, right? And articles and statements. And obviously, uh, Ketanji, Justice, Justice Jackson, uh, Brown Jackson's, uh, what do they call it? Uh, not consent. Uh, what's the opposite? When they write in their opposition paper. Uh, Hers was amazing. Just um, dissent. The dissenting. Yeah, opinion. the dissent. Yeah. But, but, and I, and I, I shared Michelle Obama's, but it had me thinking. I thought hers was great, but it had me thinking because we always sell and we like, I know I've done this hey, the diversity enriches the experience. And then we say, because it puts you in spaces with other lived experience, with different shared perspectives, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, I believe that. But that puts the onus on black and brown bodies to never just be relaxing and being. It's in the position of teaching or modeling or sharing or educating, even well-intentioned white people. So like I know on, on my campus that I used to work at, my black players would be like, coach, like I'm the only one there. So I get asked all the goddamn questions. Like I didn't sign up Wednesday to be the voice of all of black America today. Maybe I had the energy yesterday. Today I don't have it. I just want to be here. But that, that makes me think of some of these issues like, man, the existence on the campus is a whole nother thing. These places don't, just like you mentioned, don't consider just because getting them was one thing. That was just step one of nine or 10 to actually have the full experience. Be there's, worth it. there's a full on celebration that happens. There's a full on celebration that happens in most of these places. When. I, OK, so I'll, I'll speak from experience, right? As the only person of the global majority on our staff at my previous institution and one of i think two or three in the entire conference on the women's basketball side as far as coaches went i was the one who would always go and sit on courts where there were black girls playing and i'd be the only one and Whenever I could get a young lady who was black or brown to even respond to me about our school, there was a celebration. But I knew going into this past year, because you and I know what happened, there's no way that I could recruit a black or brown girl to come and play for our team. There was no freaking way. And if admissions knew that, all of a sudden you become less valuable to admissions, right? Then it's like, oh, well, we need, to, we need to make sure we hit our numbers. We need to make sure that we are pushing DEI forward, blah, 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 blah. 
That's not what that is. You hitting your numbers and pushing DEI forward are two very different things. We can celebrate representation. We can celebrate that the numbers are increasing. But when the number of mental or the percentage of mental health crises that happen on a college campus are disproportionately affecting bodies of color, that's not cause for celebration. That means that you stopped with just the recruiting process to get them there. And that's what affirmative action allowed for was for that recruiting process to take place in good faith. And so now when we erode the trust in the institution, not because of anything they've chosen to do, right? This, this wasn't their choice, just like you said, right? We, we're, we're not on the Supreme Court. We don't get to choose whether this happens or not. They now have to make a choice. Like these colleges now have to make a choice. You've done this prep work for three years. You knew this was going to happen. You added all these positions and you did all this programming and blah, you know, like you and I both were part of that programming. We were the programming. It was either us or some young, energetic, optimistic, bright-eyed intern. Yeah. We were like, that's all been happening. And so now you have to make a choice as an institution. And I'm challenging our brethren that still works in that space. Do what you said you were going to do or get out. Because what we can't do is go backwards by the choice, because it is a choice. It is a choice to let this affect on a large scale those institutions. I can't help like the University of Texas right? Or Baylor or whatever, right? We can't help that. But we can still hold out a little bit of hope, false hope as it may be, that the quote-unquote kingmaker school that exists and has this woke ideology and wants to be social, you know, social justice this and DEI that and whatever, all right, then do it. Put your action where your mouth is, put your money where your mouth is, and align to the things you said you were about or hire people that will be or just stop lying to the public. Those are your choices. You either do it or you admit that you're full of shit. And we knew, like, we know that. We know that that's a thing, but admit it. Say it out loud. Yeah. Oh, that's, Say thank it. you. Because that, wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be refreshing? I think it would be refreshing to hear factual shortcoming rather than romanticized wishful thinking. Does that make sense? Like, I know we've been in meetings where you sit there and you hear this altruistic, romantic vision of where we're headed, knowing full well the structural limitations that will never allow that to be. And you could actually go about your day and work with a different process if people just admitted the structural limits. Like, hey, our yeah. institution now, because I and I'm I'm drawing back here to to what you said. Like, you need to stand in it, say it. But you now, this is going to take quadruple the work for admissions departments that real that state these values that signal the belief in diversity. You cannot now tell us that oil oh, affirmative action is gone. We couldn't do it. 
No, no, you now have to go out and have your staff learn about zip codes, like in person. You like, and I'm I'm quoting some of this from the um from the from Femi again at UC Berkeley, vice chancellor of enrollment. He said, you're gonna have to go out and recognize that zip code applicants are not apples to apples. They can't be. So you can't have this streamlined, scaled process that allows you to get through 30,000 applications fast because you won't be able to do the diversity work that way because you won't understand the interactions of learning environments, live situations, navigating that into this profile. But I, you know damn well what the first answer to, you're going to have to do more work in admissions if you want to have diversity. We don't have the budget. We don't have the budget. We, we don't, don't have, have the time. Staff. We don't have the people. We need more staff. You know. And it's not about right. more, right? It's not about more. It's about better. Yes. We have to it's change about, our systems. Oh, we can't, you know, it's right. But like, so all those alums, right? The alums that on black during black history month that you put out on social media, you're like, look, we have black alums, like one, you know, like, oh, look during AADPI history month or whatever, right. That was in May. Oh, look, we have these alums of this school. Yeah, those people, you need to throw some money at them and have them come back and be part of your admissions department. Yep. You need to start asking the right questions of, hey, what was your experience like here? You know, the ones that don't answer your emails, like maybe you need to show up at their house and be like, hey, was everything okay during your experience here? Probably not. Okay, well, we're trying to, you know, do the right thing. How can how can we do that? Right. And it still puts the onus on us to be the ones who educate, just like you said. Right. Like that shouldn't mm -hmm. be our job, but it is becoming our job more and more and more when stupid things like this happen, where now it's we've been sitting here talking for 45 minutes about exactly that. Right. Because nobody feels it more than the kids who are currently on a campus. And an entire generation of kids who want to go to a school because they know it's going to help them change their station in life. And all of a sudden, one of the social safety nets that existed is no longer there. And the people who work in admissions, the people who work processing your application and reaching out to you and constantly, you know, all these things that for the last since, you know, since 2020, like. We've tried to make strides and we're, we have these strategic plans and blah, blah, blah. All right, well, the rubber's about to meet the road. What are you going to do? Because mm -hmm. your strategic plan means nothing. It might be really pretty. Yeah, it might, you yep. might have used Canva or Photoshop really well. Yep. But now you have to convince, and you should have been doing this, right? Recruit everyone every day. You should have been doing this for three years, convincing people to get on track so that even if legislation changed, we would be fine. Yes. I mean, so I mean, let, me, let me, they send out, and I know you've been in schools, they send their counselors out, right? And they go post up at a lunch, which we can argue, we can do a whole other podcast on tactics, having been recruiters that successfully mm -hmm. recruited 21st century young people in yep. a cardboard booth cut out, sitting passively isn't probably the way. But what schools are on that list now? Because you should probably flip the entire section of schools that you visit and go to under-resourced K through 12 schools. Go to the CEB scored schools that you say are lower and they're going to equal less. Go there. They probably have less counselors than the other schools. So they haven't they haven't returned your email. You should probably go there. 
Wow, it's it's maddening, right? And it's back to our rage that we started with as we wrap up. It's maddening that now we're once again in survival mode and we're once again in, we can't flourish and grow. We're back to how do we scrape again for the bare minimum? Like, just like you said, how do we scrape again to make sure we still get kids through the gates? We mm-hmm. haven't even been able to touch them. We've, we, we have, but these schools haven't even been dove into. Well, now we can't even get them through the gates, much less not let them have them run away as soon as they live inside the gates for about a month and a half. Right. Oh, it's a sad day. It's a sad day. Sad day, but nevertheless, we persist, right? That's all you can do. Absolutely. Absolutely. All you can do. I appreciate you. I appreciate you, brother, coming on, lending your expertise. And we'll get on again. We'll get on. And one of these days, it's going to be about something fun. One of these (laughs) days. (laughs) Yeah. One one of these days. You know what? Maybe we do this like, uh, you know. Once a month or something. I yes. Summer, right. summer we'll is here, something. and and we listen. There's going to be more stuff that comes out. It's that season, right? Yeah. Where it's, you know, we're ramping up into an election year next year, and you know, there's just yeah. It, it does. It's going to get worse before it gets better, and For you know, sure. maybe next time we talk about student loans and what that means. <laughs> and Jesus Christ, oh I God. guess. I guess I maybe guess. here's the here's the silver lining, right? Is like if schools are able then to, to just say no to people who are already under-resourced, maybe it stops putting so many Ooh. black and brown folks in, into student debt to begin with and public right. universities, and, you know, public universities and in, in really, really good public universities of which there are thousands, hundreds mm-hmm. and th- I don't know how many schools there are. There's thousands of them, but um, you know, we start to maybe go away too from these private, you know, yeah, brouhaha schools and just go get it, go get your state education, go to community college, right? Yeah. Use the two year track to get to the four year track. I mean, yep. there's ways that we can do this to where affirmative action doesn't even really make a difference anymore because it's guaranteed admission. You go to the community college for two years, you get go to UVA yeah. for two years and get your same degrees that people who went yeah. before, right? Yeah, Oregon, I think it's called the is it called the dream program? It's similar. Hey, you go two years at your whatever CC you want and then go to Oregon State or UO, you're good to go. $2,000. Appreciate you. Right. Yeah. Right. And we got to get rid of some of that stigma too in our communities of color. Like, ain't nothing wrong with going to community college. Like, if I had had a a child and like they were college age, you know what? You can have the entire basement. You can live here. We'll get you a separate entrance, the whole thing. And I know that sucks and it might put a cramp on your style. But what we're not going to do is, is go and pay out the was for something that you could get basically for free in a couple of years. Right. right. And I didn't learn that lesson early enough in life, but now that I'm an adult, we might be able to make it. Makes a, a lot of sense. Makes well, some I appreciate difference. you, man. Appreciate you having me on.